Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I'm Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life's Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. We sure do, and you can follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. And you can also join the Life's Accessories Facebook group where we're talking about all our Life's Accessories. You can also email us at Life's Accessories Podcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode in your podcast feed. Well, friends, listeners, today we are thrilled to have actress, activist, producer, and eco-mom Alicia Reiner on the podcast. That that's a mouthful. I mean, she does a lot, you know, she does it all. all. Mm -hmm. Alicia Reiner is an award-winning actress best known for her portrayal of Fig on seven seasons of Orange is the New Black, which I just loved that Mm -hmm. show so much. She also originated the character of Agent Sadie Deaver on Miss Marvel. And she just finished her fifth season as Sunny on Better Things, with Pamela Adlon, as well as her second season as Catherine in Star's Shining Veil and Kiki on the Deuce. In addition to her acting roles that she plays, she conceived of, developed, produced, and starred in the feature film Equity, which was bought and distributed by Sony Picture Classics at the Sundance Film Festival. Heard of it? Mm-hmm. And she produced and starred in Egg. I also love that movie, which premiered at Tribeca Film Festival and is 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That's impressive. Truly. And in addition to all of that, Alicia loves working as a change maker. And she received the acclaimed Collaborator Award from Women in Arts and Media a Muse Made in New York Award from the Mayor's Office and New York Women in Film and Television, Sarah Powell Huntington Leadership Award, Voice of a Woman Award, the Pioneer in Filmmaking Award, and the Founders Award for Support. A lot of awards. I mean, yeah, I won like a trophy in third grade for the the relay races at Labor I was, you know what? I think I was going to say the same about a relay race. It might have been like, third place and mine was like the wacky relay race where you swim with the kickboard and you have like a ping pong on your nose but anyway that's fine Wait. I want it oh I'm not questioning that at all right I hope you weren't <laughs> no I'm simply in awe also it's better than the awards that our kids got when they were little just for showing up the dust on the awards on those bookshelves in my kids rooms like it got to a point there were bobbleheads. It's like things not on everybody ribbons. needs an award. No, and not. Right. How did this become the award show? I don't know. I don't but know. We're going to speak with an award-winning actor. All jokes aside, she's an award-winning actress and producer and activist, and Alicia's very impressive, and I'm very excited to bring her on. Well, Alicia, and thank you so much for coming on Life's Accessories. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you, Stephanie, and so good to see you, Rachel. We are so happy to have you here, and I have the distinct honor and privilege of asking you the burning question, (laughs) which I think you'll know what it is, which is which accessory or meaningful item do you want to talk about and share with our listeners today? Oh, wait, that's the question? I thought it was, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's so funny. So here's the thing. This has been the hardest podcast I think I've ever done because I'm not a stuff person. And as a sort of aspiring Buddhist, I try and really practice non-attachment. So I was thinking so much about things that I love that like my grandmother's purse that was my great grandma's and she got it in Africa and it has these little elephants on it that are made out of actual, I think, elephant tusk before they knew that that was a horrible thing to do. Oh. Or my dad's shirts. I lost my dad and I I love his shirts and they, to me, they probably don't still smell like him, but in my head they do. Or his watch that David wears, or this year, my beautiful daughter spent money, like real hard earned babysitting money and bought me a necklace that I find so beautiful and amazing. And she picked it out because she heard me say to a girlfriend, I love that necklace. And then she found it and bought it like at a jewelry store, which is nutty. Wow. fourteen. Wow. Um, wow. That's amazing. You did a good job, clearly. Right? I have all this stuff and yet I can't pick one. I hate ever having to pick a favorite of anything. And I really wanted to have this conversation with you guys because I love you, Rachel. And I love your book about how stuff is so interesting as it relates to humans and particularly to our relationships with our parents and particularly around grief. And I was really excited to talk about that grief humans, when we like hang on to stuff, why stuff is special, why memories, what memories we hold on to and are they related to stuff? So Here I am without an accessory, but very open to a conversation. Well, this is fascinating. (laughs) We love that. Well, new twist on life's accessories. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. First of all, let me just say, I totally appreciate your honesty. And by the way, we have had people come on before who couldn't just pick one. We should tell our listeners, you had mentioned, Alicia, that you and I do know each other. We met years ago because of some of the work you were doing in the grief space for Gilda's Club. When you did a film, was it called Speed Grieving? Was that what it was? Yep. yep. About okay. losing your dad in yep. a very short time. I don't remember what the time frame was from his diagnosis until his death, but it was really quick. I guess, can you tell us a little bit about him? And I know that's kind of a big question, but what inspired you to make that film? Because now you're such a prolific filmmaker. Gosh, um, yeah. At that time, which was many, many years ago, I was just flabbergasted by people's inability to talk about grief and loss. And it clued me in to what a youth-based culture we are, what a young country we are in a way. When you look at 
other cultures and how we create communities and villages and take care of, of our sick, of our elderly. It It's a fascinating thing. It's really exciting to think about in this moment as we hopefully make change around the economy and making it a more care-based economy as we value our caretakers in different ways. Ironically, I'm right now developing a TV series about nannies. Oh, yeah. So that's really fun and exciting of like, and that's a big piece of it is how do we care for those who care for the people we love? Right now, my mother-in-law is 89 and not well and Mm. navigating caretaking for the elderly is such a huge piece of our lives right now. And I think you probably both understand that, I guess, a new term of the sandwich generation, right? I was fascinated by people's inability to talk about grief and loss to the extent that for the first time in my life, I'm like, I need to make art about this. I need to talk about this. And the way I know how to talk about things is to make art about them. So that was my first little movie. It was an extraordinary experience working with the cancer sport community. And we created a grief counseling guide. And I worked with 10 grief counselors and social workers to have this component of the film. And it's still used in cancer sport communities, which Gilda's Club is part of mm-hmm. the cancer sport community now. And it's funny because this past year I was a host at their big gala. And someone came up to me and said, I watched your film after my husband died. It moved me so much. I decided to quit my job and start working at cancer sport community. Like I realized how incredible art and this kind of work can be to make change. And that was extraordinary to me. Like when a little old man at a film festival came up to me and was crying and said, this is the first time I've cried since my wife's death. Thank you for helping me to tap into my feelings. And that's why I do what I do to tell stories that help evolve culture and help open people's hearts. Like that's really why I do what I do and why I feel like I was put on this planet. That's truly incredible. You have had had such an impressive and varied acting career. And I love how you've incorporated aspects of life into your career so beautifully and poignantly. And I'm curious, did you always want to be an actor? Did you have a bug for it? Yes. I mean, the bottom line is yes. My two stories are when I was little, my aunt told me a story of when we were on the Crosstown bus. And she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to act and sing and dance and paint and write poetry, you know, dabble. Um, Dabble. So I wanted to be a dabbler. And I think I always wanted to do this. And I've always been deeply fascinated by the brain and who we are and why we are. And I still am. I'm a big science geek what we've learned about the brain in the last three decades is staggering. So many things we thought were true when I was in school are just 
not true. We have new truths about how the brain works. So I wrote my college essays about how psychoneurobiochemistry and acting were really the same things. Mm. Um, wow. Well, yes. we both have juniors in high school. I feel like I know. we should suggest that as a topic. They are like <laughs> wow. not, they are not thinking that deeply about college essays, but that sounds amazing. To dig a little deeper into your acting, I think a lot of our listeners will know you as the beloved fig on Orange is the New Black. She was a very product focused human. <laughs> yes, she was. You love so, her accessories. I yeah. loved watching you as fig on Orange is the New Black and also then watching you on Better Things as Sunny with Pamela Adlon. Such different shows for sure and different characters. And I'm just curious, how do you pick the characters that you want to play and the projects that you want to get involved in as an actress? And how do you keep it so varied? I wish I could be like, oh, I just get offered so many things on a daily basis and I pick and choose (laughs) Um, in both of those situations. I would say I just got so lucky and there've been a bunch of other projects that I've done that, you know, has never really had huge audience the way both of those did. And sometimes you touch the cultural gestalt and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you touch millions upon millions of millions of people. And sometimes you touch one person and they're both deeply valuable. Whenever you do theater by nature, Mm -hmm. the, the audience is so much smaller. You do a reading or I sing with an incredible chorus called the Resistance Revival Chorus. And we sing as an act of protest because joy is an act of resistance. And sometimes we'll sing at a protest and there won't be that many people there. But to me, it's all equal. I feel so lucky to be part of both of those projects with Orange First of all, we were their second show ever. Remember Life Without Wait, Sleep? Netflix's second show? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's yes. before Netflix was Netflix, basically. Right. Right. I, one of my favorite stories is my sweet husband was trying to show off about this job I got. And we, he was showing up to a casting director who said, oh, good luck with that little web series. Uh, <laughs> that's all there was back then. There was no such thing as streamers. It's nutty to think about, but it's true. We're part of that massive change in the industry. We were part of a massive change of how people see incarceration. Mm-hmm. We were part of a massive change about how people see the LGBTQ community, like mm-hmm. Laverne and that character, Sophia, was the first trans character that had a, such full development. And we are changing law. And there's a lot of pushback too, but thank God we're having the conversations. We're pushing culture forward. And that is in part because of that show, because of the brilliant Genji Cohen and the entire team behind it. I'm really, 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 really proud to be part of that culture, that, that art that helped change culture. And similarly with better things, it's, Bless Pamela Adlon because love her. <laughs> willing to talk about things that people don't talk about the hard, messy, uncomfortable, imperfect, ugly side of being a single mama. And with such beauty and love at the same time, to be able to straddle that the way she did was 
miraculous. You know what I'm curious about? You played Fig for seven seasons and that's yep. a long time to live in this character's world and transform with this character. And when it's over, we were talking about grief earlier. Is there a grief process saying goodbye to a character? And what was that like for you? I get a little <laughs> numb, honestly. It's so complex because first of all, they're not real people. Characters are not real people. And that's real important to understand. I oh. remind myself that when I'm watching TV with my husband or when he's streaming, because I'm like way too involved. And he's like, they're not real. I'm like, okay. But I think So, but I desperately miss playing with the humans that I got to play with. On Better Things, we did feel like a family. On Orange, we did too. And some of them I still play with, but you can't play with everybody all at the same time. It takes a lot of work in real life when you're not going to a job. And having never been in an office, it's probably the same thing as in an office. There are some people you love and there are some people, not so much, Mm -hmm. but I can't imagine spending that much time in an office and then not seeing anybody ever again. And you see everybody at awards shows. We all have super busy packed lives. A lot of us are parents. A lot of us, we're all trying to get our next gig. So there's definitely mourning of, gosh, I miss seeing those humans every day. And there's another piece of it that an actor feels like the floor just fell out like yeah my next gig and it's with Ms. Marvel now I'm like I miss those humans so much another extraordinary group of humans that I've loved working with another piece of culture changing art of the first ever Muslim superhero I miss those humans I love those humans and there's the oh my god will I get to see them again will we get to shoot another season shame with Shining Bale now, amazing group of humans. Are we going to get a third season? A big piece of an actor's life is, I don't know what's next. I'm in a moment right now where I'm like, I don't know what's next. I'm developing a bunch of stuff. I hope something's next, but I have no idea. That's so interesting for us to hear just because I think as the fan of all your work and fan of so much art, We don't stop to think about the day-to-day nature of being a working actor. If I could relate to it a little bit, it's like you're a full-time freelancer, pounding the pavement, always looking for the next gig. We read your bio before you came on and just all the work you've done with Marvel and everything. It's so unbelievable. And in addition to that, you spend a lot of your time doing work in the activism space. So tell us about your work as an activist. How do you choose the projects you become involved in? Because you're involved in a lot. (laughs) I feel like it must be hard to say no, because they all sound like amazing causes. I suck at saying no. Um, I need help with saying no more. Because I remember I had a PR person early in my career who's like, honey, you have to pick one thing. You're, You're just doing too many things. And I was like... Yeah, no, sorry. I can't pick the environment or women's rights. Sorry. (laughs) Or racism or autism. No, sorry. And I actually love that we're beginning to see things in a much more holistic way. So instead of just talking about the climate 
as something deeply independent of racism. We were talking about climate justice and we're being more integrative as we're looking at abortion rights and we're looking at racism. We're looking at reproductive justice. How do we fold this all in? As a mother, I feel like I have to carry all of these beliefs and activism to create the best world I possibly can for my child. As a chorus with Resistance Revival Chorus, we sing so many times at so many different causes, everything from education to reproductive rights to the Women's March to gun safety. If it affects humans, we're like, we'll probably sing. To continue on that, you're a co-founder of Lavari. I hope I pronounced that correctly, a zero waste women's wear label made ethically in New York. And what inspired you to start this company. Can you tell us about it? I will. Um, We've made some extraordinary accessories over the years. We made this incredible bag made out of Burberry scraps. Oh my God. I know. And I have one, but we're sold out of every single thing now. So before anybody gets excited, we're looking at like, would we want to do any more collaborations? But our we're the definition of slow fashion because we only work with other companies when they're trying to get rid of scraps. Yeah. You know, if you go to the, my website, you can see more at the mm-hmm. Lavar tab. But essentially, after the 2016 election, um, my friend Claudine, who's a stylist, reached out to me and Tabitha, who was a women's march organizer and who is also part of the course and who is a designer. And we all sat down for coffee to like talk about how we want to take action in this moment. And somehow we're like, let's start a clothing line, which was so not our intention. It was kind of, I sort of feel like it was a fun game of, is it possible to create a fashion line that's truly zero waste, that's truly fair trade, that's truly sustainable. We even took all of our scraps at the end of our runway show and had a weaver weave them all together to be a, like this beautiful shawl. So we, we really, can you see our faces right now? I mean, I I can, I love it. Maybe we could talk offline because, um, we started this podcast, Life Accessories, and we yeah. really use this stuff as a means to tell a life story. And yeah. Stephanie and I are growing this into a business, and we do want to talk about creating lines of life's accessories, actual products. But yeah. we don't want to be wasteful, and we don't know anything about yeah. production. And so yeah. maybe we could somehow talk. I don't know. I mean, let's talk. We've let's- got scarves. <laughs> we've got stuff. And I'm laughing at the Burberry because I'm imagining all of the plaids together. Like, totally. Yeah. Well, this yeah. was the Burberry leather, just so you know, it was leather. Okay. Leather. Okay. okay. Leather. Got it. it was okay. Leather. All right. <laughs> leather. <laughs> leather. Leather. I'll, I'll take a picture of my bag. Although you also might, I'm sure it might be on my website too. I love those women so much. And I love, you know, I am a big fan in reference to activism. I'm on the board now of the Earth Day Initiative. And for me, there is so much shit going on in this world. Holy guacamole. So (laughs) when we can focus on solution and joy, that's what I'm all about. 
So that's what Lavari was about. That's what Earth Day is about. I'm a huge believer in shame doesn't really move culture forward and doesn't move our hearts forward. And Mm -hmm. nobody's perfect. I promise you, even Greta Thunberg, she makes a climate mistake now and then. And you know what? Even if she doesn't, I will say for me, like every time I flush a toilet and she might feel like this too. Every time I flush a toilet, I'm like, oh, I wish there was a way we could do this without wasting so much water. Every time I use toilet paper, that's just who I am. I have some climate guilt that I am work, I'm cultivating, releasing, but maybe it's kind of cool because look, if I can inspire someone to make a new toilet, which Bill Gates really wants to do too. He has a big yes. award for that. So mm-hmm. maybe one of your children will create a new way. I'm deeply fascinated and we can't have conversations with this and make change unless we have these conversations and go like, okay, now what? What do we do now? What's, what's the solution? What? How do we change the idea of plumbing all around the world? Because in America, we're wasting way too much water and we're wasting a lot of things. And in other areas of the world, plumbing is such a sanitary issue, a health issue, a disease issue. Is there a way to create a new plumbing system that serves both America and third world Mm -hmm. countries to change how we do this, how we see this? If we've come up with so many extraordinary ideas in our lifetimes. Why not? I love your curiosity and how you are asking all of these incredible what if creative questions. I mean, it's really, it's remarkable. And I think that we, we should all sort of take a step back and ask those questions about everything in our lives. Did someone in your life inspire you to ask those questions? and take an interest the way you have in such profound ways? That's such a good question. I can't point to one human. I think my dad was definitely very curious. When I think about my life, the four words before this podcast that I play with when I wake up and I open my eyes, it's like love, creativity, service, and evolution. Like those are the four words that I live my life by, but I might have to add curiosity because I think curiosity is a big piece of who I am. My dad was always very curious and very specifically curious about how to evolve himself. His uh, company's motto that he created was uh, make a difference, have fun. And that's sort of how I try and live my life. There was always this curiosity about like, how do you do that? You know, how, what does that mean? What does that look like? Make a difference, have fun. Um, But I also I think what he taught me was to be a spiritual seeker. He was always like reading lots of self-help books and he was that guy. And I'm that girl. Like I am always like, I listen to so many podcasts and books and I'm just so curious about life and how we think about life and how everybody can experience the same thing 
completely differently. To me, it's part of being an artist too. Yeah. Well, I think, I think your quote from your dad, make a difference, have fun. I think that might be your accessory. Yes. Love that. Well said, Stephanie. Yes. Yes. My work is done. You're done. (laughs) I'm done done. for the day. So well done. (laughs) That's the name of this episode. I I mean, (laughs) that is, it's interesting how we started this off talking about your dad and now we're back to talking about your dad. It's funny what you were talking about, some of the words you use to describe yourself because I write a lot, I journal a lot. And some of the words that come up a lot with me are love and creativity. So, Mm -hmm. and obviously Stephanie and I are very curious too, because we, we like to ask people questions. I have another question because I'm actually curious with your father's passing and and how, how long ago did he pass? Would you say? He passed in 2000, what was it? 2002, I think. Okay. You know, I'm curious and and I'm curious about this for you too, Rachel. I mean, you know, when people who we love so dearly pass, right? And I'll speak personally about when my mother passed a few years ago, a couple of years ago, that it brought about in me this sort of desire to try different things that I had not done before. And almost in honor of, or in love of, I don't know how to really describe it, but I'm curious if, for both of you, if the, the passing of a person really sort of helps you to sort of grow in ways that maybe you wouldn't have if they were still here. I want to hear your answer first. (laughs) Well, it's funny, not funny, but Alicia, that you said 2002, because my mom died in 2004. So I mean, we connected a few years probably after that, which I can't believe that it was so long ago. We're talking close to 20 years, but I would say for sure. I mean, after my mom died, I, the creative juices in me kind of exploded and I got into writing and I got into volunteering at Gilda's club. And then this whole fashion and accessories and also baking. I have a baking show. Those are just ways of creatively expressing myself to tell stories and to connect with other people. And often it is about loss. I always say that my mom would be like, what are you doing volunteering at cancer community and Gilda's club? Because when Mm. she was sick, that was not something she wanted to talk about or deal with in any way, shape or form but it's been so meaningful and helpful to me. So mm-hmm. I would say definite, yes, it's changed so many things and it's connected me to so many wonderful people like the both of you. How about you, Alicia? Yeah, I would say similarly, like it's a legacy thing, right? It's like, what is your legacy and what would you want? I look at you, Rachel, and I'm like, oh my God, your mama would be so proud of you, you know? And I'm sure the same, I know less about you, Stephanie, but I'm sure the same. And um, with my dad, I just want to live a life that makes him proud. Mm, he um, would be so proud. I would say so. <laughs> and and I guess a, another piece of that is what makes me proud. That's part of growing up too, is not just doing it to make your parents proud and to make them think you're good and all that. But like, I want to live a life where every day I'm like, yeah, I I like the way I live that day. They say a lot of people talk about pretending you're at your funeral. It's actually a very Buddhist belief of like going full circle. See how I did that there with the Buddhist in the beginning. Yes. And um, yes. but imagine you're at your own funeral and what do you want people to say? And what, what did your life look like? And I do feel like, okay, 
I feel good that way, you know, and that feels good. That's a great note to end on. I mean, funny, I do often at the end of my day before I fall asleep, I'm always so tired, but I do reflect a little bit on that day. And some people say, don't count sheep. If you have trouble sleeping, I know this sounds so hokey, but count your blessings. For me, it's, I sometimes count what I did that day to make me and maybe the world feel a little bit better. So I totally get that. So before we let you go, where can our listeners uh, find more about you, follow you, all that good stuff? All the good stuff on Instagram and Twitter and all the places. I'm at Alicia Reiner, A-L-Y-S-A-A-R-E-I-N-E-R, no underscores or nothing. And my website is also my name and there is a Lavari tab there and you can actually, if you go to, I think our Instagram page, you can see lots of pictures of all the stuff, including I did just check the Burberry bag is there. And I did for the Burberry bag, I will say we... I have an ode to my chorus. It says joy is an act of resistance Um, on your screens. Orange is the new black. I will probably always be on Netflix because it is their second series. And I am on all seven seasons and better things is on FX Hulu. I just finished my second season on shining veil, which is on stars and my first season of Ms. Marble, which is on Disney Plus. On all the services. You are everywhere. <laughs> I love it. We love talking to you. Thank you for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Take good, good care. So much Thanks. fun. Thanks, Alicia. Mm-hmm.